Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaitzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So last week, we probably made some people nervous talking about preparing for a strike. And, and I hope that's not the case, but uh, I'm sure it is. So it's on people's minds. Contract 2023 is on everybody's mind. Um, negotiations are quickly approaching for that contract. So this is probably a great time to talk about the upcoming contract negotiations, maybe get an update. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be joined in a little while by Local 1150 Principal Officer Rocco Kalo. But first, let's do a benefits bite. Yeah, so today we're getting ready to come up on our payout period for personal time. Um, if you elect to take it lump sum, you're going to get paid out on March 3rd. Otherwise, you'll use it pay as you go. Uh, for anybody that just joined the company, unfortunately, you don't get any personal time in the first calendar year. Um, in the second calendar year, if you're hired between January 1st and June 30th, you would be entitled to three paid personal days. Um, the following year, employees are hired between uh, July 1st and December 31st. You get no personal uh, time paid that year. So it's a little bit of a, a difference depending on when in, when in the calendar year you're hired. Yep. Um, the third calendar year, that's what everybody looks forward to, obviously. You get paid five calendar days uh, for personal time. Um, it's important to remember that anytime you use personal time, you're going to reset your uh, perfect attendance. So you definitely want to plan that. A lot of people tend to take it in, either in the first quarter or the last quarter. Uh, the only time there would be an exception to that is if you're using your personal time in conjunction with banked points. So when Jason says reset your perfect attendance, that means uh, personal day actually disqualifies you for perfect attendance, Right. to, to be clear. Yep. And the only time it would not would be if you're using um, banked points or what's called carryover personal. So within the, within the year, if you don't have more than five disqualifying days, we call them, you're allowed to carry over up to 16 hours of personal time to use in the next year. So as you can see, personal time comes a little bit slowly for newer employees. It, it takes a little while to get your personal time, but everyone, by their third calendar year of employment, everyone has the full allotment of five days. That's all anyone gets at Sikorsky Aircraft is, is five paid personal days. So by your third year, you have, a, you have as much as anybody has. The other thing to keep in mind if you're on an off shift, this is uh, paid at your hourly rate. It is exclusive of any premiums, bonuses, or importantly, your shift differential. So a lot of times you'll see people looking for that shift differential. You're not going to find it because it's not entitled. So people can elect how to get paid. Did you cover that? Yeah, so I alluded to it at the beginning, but at the start of the year, um, you elect whether or not you want to receive a lump sum payment or pay as you go. We're already past that time period. Um, so depending on what you elected, you'll either get paid out in full on March 3rd or you'll take it lump, uh, pay as you go. Excellent. The other thing that we should probably tell people is we're going to have a guide going up on our website and on our app. Um, it's going to be another one of those attendance for dummies, and it's going to explain all of what we just went over. So you can kind of review that on your own. If you have any questions, uh, get with your steward. So within the local 1150 website, check out the 10 to 12 podcast page. That's where you'll find all those documents. Um, the, the one that we talked about a few weeks ago, which is uh, vacation time for dummies. This one is personal time for dummies. So for all you dummies out there, check out the web page and uh, download that document to help you out. So let's get into our contract a little bit, talk about some some contract stuff and and this isn't really 
um, contract language per se. The contract does talk about just cause um, in terms of when the company disciplines somebody, they, they must show just cause. So what we want to do is talk about the seven standards of just cause, which is a, a really um, some legal stuff that the company has to do in order to prove just cause. So let's go through some of that stuff. Yeah, so this is going to apply to any time there's uh, disciplinary action in the workplace, and there's seven different standards of just cause. So I'll read them off real quick. There's notice, uh, providing a reasonable rule, uh, conducting an investigation, having that be a fair investigation, uh, proof that the claim is actually valid, um, providing equal treatment, and uh, having the same or a, a justified penalty and we could kind of go through each of those yeah let's talk about those yeah. so in terms of notice the company has a duty to pro provide notice of a rule and that they plan to enforce that rule um, so that's really what the first section discusses and and should give an idea of of what the potential consequences are of violating that rule right so notice is all about setting the employee's expectations uh, or the company's expectations rather uh, the next one would be uh, creating a reasonable rule. So this has to be a, a reasonable request made by the company that is there to benefit the efficient operation of their business. Um, so something that you could ask in this case is, was the rule or management order reasonably related to the performance the employer should expect of the employee? Right, good. Uh, next, we're going to want to know, was an inv investigation conducted? Did the company prior to discipline try to discover if the employer or employee rather actually violated a rule? Yep. And this is actually in our contract. So our, our contract does speak specifically to uh, the need for a proper investigation. Yeah. yeah, and that has to be a fair investigation. So a lot of times you'll see people that are investigating, they have a bias. They're trying to prove the, the, you know, the, uh, the narrative that they want. And we need to make sure as a steward or, you know, as a union member that they're providing a fair investigation. Yeah. So they're looking at it objectively. They're, you know, interviewing all relevant people and they're allowing us the opportunity to take part in that investigation. Um, the next one would be proof. So did the decision maker have substantial evidence or proof of guilt? And the decision maker would be the person who who administers the discipline. Right. Yeah. Right. Um Again, going back to the next one, it's equal treatment. So has the company applied their rules, orders, or discipline equally to all employees without discrimination? So you can't create this rule and then hold one guy or girl liable for it and then let somebody else just skate all the yeah, time. Exactly. Um, so we have a duty to investigate and make sure that each member is being disciplined in the same way all the other members are. And then lastly, we would look at the penalty. So was the discipline reasonably related to the seriousness of the offense? Um, was it reasonably related to the employee's record, their history, and their service within the company? So obviously, you know, if somebody's late for work and they were to suspend them, that would be outside of our, you know, disciplinary process, yep. and it wouldn't be a reasonable penalty. So that's something we have to assess as well. And, and you know, to your point that you made – the employee's record and their length of service has a bearing on a case, right? Sure. If it's a if it's a six month employee, there's going to be less latitude given to that employee than there would be to a thirty five or forty year employee. Yeah. Right. So so that that stuff does matter legally. That matters. Yep. And these are you know these are things that they have to maintain all seven standards. So it's not like they can just you know 
get six out of the seven and say, well, we had just cause. They have to maintain. We got most of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an all or nothing here. So you either have just cause or you do not. Um, and it's obviously a pretty um, in-depth thing that we have to consider. So these are really important, and it's important for members to know, because if you're under investigation, the company's doing something like this, um, when the company disciplines you, you need to have an idea of this, yeah. right, of, of, of what the standards are. Um, so it's good to talk about these are things that stewards are very familiar with and that stewards look for when they're investigating a grievance over discipline. But we're going to put these up on the website as well. So look for both of those documents, the the personal time for dummies and the seven standards of just cause. We'll stick those up on the 10 to 12 podcast page. You can download them, read them, make yourself familiar with them um, so that you're learning something about our contract. You've heard it from us that you should not forego your right to call for a steward. Obviously, trying to assess all these things um, gets pretty in-depth, and yeah. a steward is going to have more knowledge of uh, just cause for different discipline cases. They're seeing discipline on a regular basis. They're tying in with Union Hall. So you want to make sure that you give the steward the opportunity to assess that. Make sure you bring a steward. Exercise your right. No question. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, it, it, you know, if you're looking at this stuff, then you should be doing that with a steward. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about what everybody tuned in to hear about, which is contract 2023. So joining us now is local 1150 principal officer, Rocco Kahlo. Rocco, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I know that formal negotiations aren't happening right now. They're not going on yet, and, and they won't start for several months probably. But we also know that you're engaged in conversations with the company relevant to the contract. So um, what can you tell us about what's going on? What can you tell us about what's being talked about? So, as I said in the last podcast, you know, we had had conversations about whether or not we were going to wait until the expiration of the current contract or try to go early. Um, I think we are in agreement that we are going to try and do this a little bit early. Uh, we do have a ratification date set for December 18th. Um, we also have our expiration date of February 23 of of 2023 said also just in case uh, the 1218 date doesn't work out um, again and, and, and I think I said this before we're optimistically confident that we're going to be able to ratify a contract early you know getting our members uh, the benefits of the contract earlier their wages and some other increases um, I did have a meeting with the company a couple weeks ago on the just on the macro level, you know, the corporate folks, and we kind of put together a schedule going forward from then to talk about, you know, some of the bigger ticket items. Uh, we, we're planning on meeting every three weeks from now until September uh, to go through some of that stuff, and then in September we'll kick off you know, the official negotiations process. So we all know and we've talked about the the election, the IBT election, and the fact that you were elected to a, a international vice president spot. Has the company's tone with you changed at all since, since that election? I wouldn't say the tone has changed. Um, they're definitely aware of my position, my new position, and, you know, the support I'll have. Um, from that level. And again, I, you know, this isn't something new to the company. 
they've actually had um, the international president of the IAM actually come out of their Fort Worth plant. So, you know, they're used to dealing with people um, that are at different levels now. Uh, does the fact that the salary workforce uh, worked from home through much of the pandemic uh, change how negotiations, negotiations will look for us? So, I, you know, whether it changes how it looks, it will definitely be a topic of discussion. Um, you, you know, we made the sacrifice of being there every day, subjecting ourselves to the virus and, you know, everything else that was going on in the shop while um, – some of the salary folks, the majority of them, had the ability to work from home. Obviously, we didn't have that ability, um, but it will be, you know, stated very clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, in negotiations that, you know, we were essential workers, um, and that's not just a term that should be thrown around loosely. We will, you know, make the point that despite what was happening, you know, you hear all the reports on the state of the business. We hit all our numbers for last year. You look at the emails from the corporate level and stuff, and it talks about how well we did. You know, that happened because we came to work, right? We came yeah. to work through a lot of adverse uh, situations and conditions. And, uh, again, there should be a reward for that. So as we look ahead, uh, there's a couple big contracts coming. There's the FARA, the FLARA. Um, can you speak to how those might impact negotiations if those go our way? Yeah. So one of the things that we'll do and probably in the March time frame, and this is a little bit earlier this time out because of the, the state of the business at Sikorsky right now, um, we're going to get a detailed um, explanation of the future of Sikorsky, right? What, what the company is going to look like with Flora, what it will look like with FARA, what it'll look like with one or the other, um, what's happening with the K program, the CRH program. Um, obviously, the more work we have, uh, the stronger position we're going to have at the bargaining table. Um, I'm confident that we're going to win both of those programs. So, you know, our focus is going to be on what our contract should look like with both of those programs under contract. So with all this work coming in, do you foresee any uh, concessions that the company is going to seek out? Well, the company always looks for concessions, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I don't foresee a lot of requests for economic uh, concessions. You know, one of a couple of the things that in going through uh, some of these early conversations um, with the company has been, you know, they don't like the discipline process right now. Uh, a lot of the feedback they're, that they're getting from supervision off the floor is that it's impossible to discipline anybody because the union just, you know, gets it taken off through the grievance procedure. They don't like uh, all the lost time. Uh, so attendance is going to be a big issue. Um, they're probably going to look to have a third party come in and administer Family and medical leave, they do that in a lot of the other divisions. Uh, we had an initial meeting over this, and we kind of uh, turned it down because we didn't like what Sedgwick, which is the third-party administrator that would do this, was saying. Uh, we told them to see us at negotiations. We're not going to do anything outside of negotiations with Sedgwick. So um, I think we're going to see that, and then we'll probably see 
um, some type of proposal for them to kind of get the overtime situation under control. Um, there's thousands and thousands of dollars spent on overtime grievances. Um, some of it is record keeping on supervision's part, and some of it is just, you know, an unfair distribution of overtime. Uh, you know, we'll listen to anything. Uh, if it makes sense, then, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. But, you know, if it's something along the lines of giving supervision the ability to unfairly dole out overtime, obviously we're, we're not interested. Do you for, foresee us winning uh, any, any paid holidays at the bargaining table, such as Dr. King's birthday, Veterans Day, or Juneteenth? So like in every negotiations, we um, – you know, we asked for more holidays uh, and we're quickly reminded that, you know, while we don't have Veterans Day off or Dr. King's birthday or now Juneteenth off, uh, we do have that week in between Christmas and New Year's uh, off that a lot of other folks don't get. Um, I'm sure if that's what we wanted to do, we could switch out some of those holidays, um, but we will be asking for you know, everything we currently have, plus the three days that you just mentioned. Rock, I know there, there's been a lot of discussion early on about health care. Um, what can you tell us about health care? What, what are we looking at? So health care, you know, continues to be a big problem. It's a huge expense. Um, there are other ways, as I've said in the past, of doing health care. Um, you know, I, I don't think the company is very good at it. Uh, we are talking right now with Allegiant Care, which is, uh, they're based out of New Hampshire. Uh, it's a huge fund. Um, and, I, you know, we're going to start conversations with the company about moving people out of our current fund or out of the company plans into uh, the Allegiant Care plans. The Allegiant Care plans will be modeled similar to what we currently have but we think we could do it more cost-effectively with a better benefit to our members. In addition to that, um, at Allegiant Care, there are retiree benefits, um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the VSO in a minute, but uh, negotiating a VSO is, is very difficult, it's very expensive, um, and if we can get to a health care plan that after you know, a certain number of years, in the case of Allegiant Care, I think it's seven years, provides for retiree benefits. Um, it would be one aspect of the VSO that we could take out, um, and it would be a little bit easier to negotiate when we were just talking about, you know, severance and lump sums and not lumping that health care nut into, uh, into a VSO package. So I think you mentioned last time that um, the VSO or an early <clears throat> retirement or, you know, some kind of retirement incentive package mm -hmm. Um, would be a strike issue. Is that still the way you feel? It is. And, and you know, look, that's important to a lot of our members. Uh, when we start looking at demographics, we have close to 1,000 members that are 62 years of age and older. So, again, that is a big portion. That's almost 25% of our population. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, I can't walk through the shop without people stopping me and asking me what a VSO is going to look like. Um, in our initial conversations with the company, they know that we have to have that as an element of our contract. They're, they're there. They're on board with that. 
we just got to figure out how to fund it. Uh, it's, you know, looking at 988 people, I think is the exact number, 62 years of age and older, and looking at a take rate similar to what we've had in the past, you know, we're, we're talking in excess of $70 million. So wow. it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's less than 1K. Yeah. So, Rock, as these members start to retire, that's a quarter of our workforce, <clears> roughly. <throat> um, we have the big gap between Tier 1 and Tier 2. Do you think there's anything that could be done as the company starts saving some money on that to try and close that gap? Sure. Uh, and, and, again, that's part of the conversation where, you know, we have to put our heads together and figure out, okay, how do we get how do we get a VSO done and then also get the savings to recoup some of the money that the VSO cost. And one of the answers is to replace them with tier two folks, right? There's a 25% wage difference there. There's a difference in pension. There's a, um, a defined uh, benefit as opposed to a defined contribution pension plan. Um, you, you know, so bringing and replacing senior folks with tier two folks, you know, helps offset some of those costs. In the same token, um, you know, we've talked to the tier two folks and we know we got to close that gap. And, you know, again, one of the things that we had a conversation with, with the company was just that. And they're of like mindedness, I think, um, when it comes to that. You know, one of the good things about the defined contribution pension plan, which is what the tier two folks have, is as their wages go up, their pension also goes up. So, you know, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. I want to go backwards because mm -hmm. something that you said that they said kind of bugs me. So let's have a conversation about it, that that management supervision um, is looking to maybe change the discipline policy or, or I, um, the way you said it, it sounds like they don't like the fact that we have a grievance procedure and that we're able to, to, um, to win in that grievance procedure. Um, it's been my experience as a as a pretty long time steward that the reason that we're successful in the grievance procedure is because they don't do their they don't do their jobs. Supervision and management doesn't do their job. They 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 don't keep good records. They you know they discipline really inconsistently. So so what are your thoughts about that? I, I agree with what you're saying, right? And again, when something comes across the table and I have no idea what what that will be, um, that'll be exactly the conversation. It's look, you, you know, we talk about this all the time, especially even with the new employees coming in, right? You have a 90-day period to evaluate someone. If you don't do the evaluations, you can't come to us on the 89th day and say, I'm terminating somebody. Just like you can't, if you have somebody that is doing something wrong habitually, not documenting it, not taking the time to put a case together. It's, it's why the discipline doesn't stick. And the word that you used, um, which is what helps us win 98% of the grievances, is consistency, right? There needs to be consistency uh, within the discipline process. And if there's not, supervision will have a very difficult time making any discipline stick. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to take the opportunity to let people know who are listening that um, that contract surveys are are out. Mm -hmm. They're available. Check out the app. 
check out our website. You should have gotten a card in the mail with a QR code that you can scan and just take the take the survey right on your phone. Uh, if you're one of those folks that, that doesn't use mobile devices or use a computer and you prefer to do uh, a, a an old-fashioned, you know, paper and pen survey, talk to your steward. We can get you that so you can take the survey that way. Um, so we want to hear what what your priorities are for this upcoming negotiations. But with that said, Rocco, I want to ask you, you know, from your standpoint, what do you think our priorities are? So, again, I think healthcare is has to be our number one priority. And it is what we are, the plan that we are looking at, right? And this is not just for this contract, but it's going forward, you know, even after I leave here. Um, you, you know, if we have a healthcare plan, that provides for retiree benefits, it, it, it is a huge win, right? It just, it changes so much of what we do and how we have to do it. Um, it it'll open us up in, in future contracts to, you know, spend less money on healthcare, less money on, you know, one aspect of an early out uh, package and, and, you know, concentrate on other things like such as wages and, and, and pension. Um, so I, I, I think that is big for us. Um, as I said, you know, the VSO is huge. Uh, it is a strike issue. You know, we have so many members that are waiting and have been waiting for uh, the opportunity to get out. And, you know, we could see that just by looking at the demographics and, and the age of our workforce and how many folks there are, like I said, 62 and over, right? This is something they've been waiting for. And that is a big, big portion of our population. It's 25%, if, if not more. Um, you know, closing the gap in the Tier 2 structure, I mean, that that's caused problems not only for some of the folks on the floor, but it's caused problems for the company trying to hire, especially into some of the higher-skilled jobs, like the machining jobs and stuff. People actually turned a job down here because they weren't paying enough. Um, in those, you know, skills. So we, we can't have that, right? Nobody ever turned a job down at Sikorsky. Yeah. No question. Right I just heard that. it from a manager just last week. I heard it from a manager saying, I, I can't hire people in this certain job because the, the starting pay is too low. So we want to help out with that. <laughs> yeah, we want, to help, we want to help the company. That's absolutely. So we talked last week, Jason and, and Vinny and I talked last week about preparing for a strike. And and I think it's really important for members to understand how to do that and to take that seriously, even if they think, uh, you know, a strike isn't coming. But but I, I, I'd like you to comment on that, on, you know, people maybe being nervous about that, not knowing what that's all about. Um, maybe you can you can talk to folks a little bit about preparing for a strike. Sure. Um, first of all, right, my philosophy is a strike is a last resort. Um, you know, there's trains of thought out there that say, uh, you, you know, if you go out on strike, then both sides actually failed. I don't know if that's exactly true. Sometimes you're forced into it, um, from, from our position, you know, we always got to remember that the company has the ultimate right to say no, no matter how reasonable we might be or, or a request might be the company 
might just say no because philosophically they don't believe in what we're asking for. Well, and, and, and I've actually had this conversation before. You know, we can't let our philosophical beliefs affect what we're doing for this membership, what we're doing for the company. Um, and, and I'll give you a good example of it. One of the things that we're required to do by the Joint Council is, number one, bring into every negotiations a Teamster Health and Welfare Fund, which is what we're doing with Allegiant Care. We're also required to bring a proposal forward for the New England Teamsters Pension Plan, which we will do. The company looks at in, in New England Teamsters Pension Plan is what's referred to or known as, as a, a multi-employer pension fund. The company is philosophically opposed to going into a multi-employer pension fund. Well, that is not a good reason. Tell me the fund's hurting. Tell me they can't afford it. Um, give me another reason, but go back and forth and negotiate the plan with us, and let's see where we end up. You know, back in 15 or 16, when we did what was known as Project Alpha, which is what we had to do to keep the 53K here in Connecticut, right? The union was philosophically opposed to a 25% wage cut. We were philosophically opposed to an alternate work week schedule. We were philosophically opposed to people coming out of our defined benefit pension plan and going into a defined contribution pension plan. My point is sometimes we have to put our philosophies aside and do what's best to get the best we can for not just the member, but for the company also, right? Because we go hand in hand. So again, we can't listen to that at the table, right? We need to sit down and there are gonna be some issues where we're gonna have some knock down, drag out brawls about, but that's okay, that's what the process is for. So we got a little off track. You asked me about you know preparing for a strike. Look, you got to be prepared for anything, right? In life, not 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 just during contract negotiations. Um, we would be foolish not to prepare. Um, I think the company would be surprised if we weren't preparing. They're putting together contingency plans in case we go out on strike. So why shouldn't we be putting a contingency plan together now? Now, people, we we talk about this all the time. Need to put you know a few bucks aside there is a strike benefit you know that's about 500 bucks for the tier one folks it's about five times what your what your dues rate is um and that's a weekly benefit starting from week one uh you know obviously it's not your full rate of pay but it's something to help you get through the hump over the hump if that's you know what we need to do i'm not advocating for a strike i, I don't want there to be a strike i don't think we'll have a strike but we need to be prepared for it. No doubt. Um, you know, I had that conversation at home just just last week uh, talking about preparing for the possibility of going on strike. I, I was there in 2006 for the strike. I know what it's like. And and my son, who's an adult now and was a kid back then, um, you know, he he said, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow for people to, to, you know, to put that money away and make, you know, make all those preparations, make sacrifices leading up to a contract negotiation. And, and, and my answer to him was, 
that's part of what being a union person is all about, right? If you're a union worker in this country, you need to do that every few years, right? You need to prepare for the possibility of withholding your labor if your employer cannot be fair and can cannot offer you a fair contract. So it's just something that we need to do as union folks. Yeah, we do. We need to do that. And, and, and on top of saving and putting a couple bucks aside, we need to educate people. We need to educate you know, the community, uh, one of the biggest uh, problems we had in back in 06, I mean, we were making good money, right? And everybody, and this goes back to my earlier point about people never turning a job down at Sikorsky, you know, people were looking at this full-page ad that the company took out in the paper saying, here are your wage increases, here's, you know, uh, what your pension is, here's what it's, and then, you know, down at the bottom, what we were out on strike over, you, you know, which was the medical cost, um, you, you know, we kind of fluffed that over. And, you know, we got looked at by the community as just a bunch of greedy workers, and, and that wasn't the case, right? We were out there trying to maintain the standards um, that, we, that we're used to. Yeah, and, and and deserve and the strike committee that we've put together is you know is going to talk about that in depth about about uh, making sure that we have the ability to to send the right message to the public um, you know if that if that has to happen mm-hmm. so um, so we're ready for that. Looking at the big picture, obviously there's a lot going our way in terms of the schedule, the workload coming in, uh, new contracts on the horizon. What do you need from the membership? Uh, in order to, to help you guys have a successful negotiation. It seems like we've got a lot of pieces in place. March, you know, we have uh, you taken over your new role. But obviously the piece I think that you really need behind you is a strong membership. So what could, could our members do to help out with that? Unity, right? We need to be together. We cannot, you know, it, it's great to have disagreements and conversations and stuff, and we should do that at the union hall. We, you know, have meetings every month. Um, but we have to show a unified front on the floor, right? We talk about this and people are going to listen to this podcast and, you know, there should be no conversation at all on that shop floor about, well, you know, I, I heard what rock said, but I have all these bills. My kids are in school. I got to pay tuition. I get that conversation doesn't belong on the shop floor. The conversation that belongs on the shop floor is that would be tough. But we got to do what we have to do, right? That, and, and that show of unity, because I, I will tell you that supervision listens to what we're saying on the floor. The frontline folks are listening to what's being said on the floor, and they report back to management on a, on a regular basis. So, again, the, um, the message of unity is, is what would help us out immensely. I think that's a really good note to uh... – to stop on uh, uh, Rocco thank you for joining us we appreciate the update hopefully we'll have you back again um, in a little while and and get another update as we get deeper into and closer to contract 2023 but we really appreciate the conversation today and thanks for thanks for coming by anytime all right so let's talk about what's what's happening in the near future again um, you know it's winter time not too many big events happening within the union, but um, 
as always, membership meetings, right? Yep, 16th yep. of this month, so Wednesday, uh, is going to be the membership meeting. We're going to have a food truck down here. It's going to be uh, Los Mariachi's Grill. They're going to have a taco truck, free food for all the members, so definitely come on down and check it out. Good, good, good food. Yeah. Good food, good conversation. Please come to a meeting and, and get that free food and and get the free conversation. More importantly, the free knowledge that uh, what's going on in your union. Absolutely. Absolutely. So contract surveys, we just talked about it with Rocco, but let's reiterate contract surveys. Please get on the app or look for that card in your mailbox and take the survey. Talk to your steward. If you haven't seen that card, okay, let somebody know so that we can get you connected to that survey. We want to know what you want in the next contract. So please um, tell all your friends, take the survey. I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough. It's really important. Yeah, you could take it more than once. Uh, you could share around the link to people. It's a one link for everybody. You're going to log in with your e-number. Uh, you could take the survey as many times as you want. So definitely make sure you do it. And please try to log online and do it. I know not everybody loves being online. Uh, that's going to make it a lot easier for us to try and tabulate these surveys. We invested in this software that's going to go through and basically reclassify all the answers, show us trends with what people are looking for. And it's actually going to read your text answers and use AI to analyze it. So we're going to have a good idea of what people want. We just need you to get out there and use it. I talk about it all the time. The most important thing about being a union worker in this country is having a voice. This is your chance to have a voice in what your workplace looks like for the next five years. So so do it. Exercise your voice. Exercise that right. So, Vinny, what's going on in the labor community? I know there's not a lot of strike activity, but there's some stuff going on within labor. So talk about that. Well, the big one that I would like to talk about this week is... Starbucks in Memphis, Tennessee, where Starbucks decided to fire seven workers in their uh, Poplar and Highland uh, store. These uh, seven workers are on the organizing committee, so it's they're doing some union busting. And they're also uh, the people that were fired were people of color. So that's how they're marking uh, Black History Month by firing people. That's in, awesome. In a union drive. So, so what's the union doing about that? Anything? Have they reacted? Um, yeah, this was actually their negotiating committee, right? Yeah, it was so like it wasn't the just, whole negotiating committee. It wasn't they just random them. employees. This was their entire negotiating and they, team. They were fired for minor offenses, which they really were kind of unaware of, and that are hardly ever enforced. Things like going behind the counter uh, when they're off the clock, uh, going in the back room when they're off the clock, things that are usually un uninf uh, unenforced. And it, uh, the union sees it as just a effort to uh, clamp down on the union organizing. So when the CEO said months ago that, you know, the, the, that he believes that Starbucks doesn't need a union, but that he's open to the dialogue, yeah. right, that was a lie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That that wasn't um, that wasn't really what he was thinking. What he was what he was thinking was, I'm going to fire all these people. Yeah. I would also like to say that they filed uh, they filed for the election on uh, Dr. King's birthday, and uh, Memphis, Tennessee, is where Dr. King was uh, assassinated when he was there uh, standing up for workers uh, striking uh, the garbage workers. Garbage workers. Yep. Yeah, you know, and and. I know we've talked about it on previous episodes, but this is typical stuff. For anybody who's shocked by this, um, 
okay, be shocked by it because I guess it's shocking, but yeah. this is really typical stuff, right? This is what big companies do yeah. in in response to union drives. Yeah. They, ev- they fire people. Yeah, and everybody here listening knows after this episode that they obviously didn't have just cause to terminate people if it's not a regularly enforced rule. Yeah, so. Exactly. I, I think, you know, I think it's important to just say to 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 members of Local 1150 or anyone out there listening to this podcast who's a member of a union already, you're lucky, right? You're lucky that you, and maybe you did have to do this, but most of any of us at Local 1150 did not have to take part in a union drive. It's difficult, it's dirty, it's nasty, and companies get real ugly and they do bad things. I I think we should also say, you know, under a union contract, we're not at-will employees, and that's why these companies get a lot get away with it because there isn't a union there yet, but where we're, we're at, they can't just tap you on the shoulder and say you're out for whatever reason they want to, they want to give. Well, something you could do to show support for Starbucks. This is something I like to do when you go into their store, they like to have these captive audience sessions where they tell people how bad unions are and lie to them yeah. about unions. So you could have your own captive audio audience session, right? You go and you order a coffee, you talk about how awesome unions are, tell them they should yeah, you know, like start a drive too. here. And, you know, what are they going to do? So yeah. it's They're not going to do anything. You're a paying customer. Yep. They can't right. kick you out. Right. So that's a great idea, yep. Jason. Wear your union gear in there. Yeah. Show support. So we close every show with a, with a quote from a past or present union leader. Today's quote is, is appropriate because we just finished a discussion about labor negotiations. So, um, so here's what Walter Ruther said. He said, labor is not fighting for a larger slice of the national pie. Labor is fighting for a larger pie. And, and, and so that's, yeah, that's, um, that's pretty profound, right? So, so to be clear, you know, labor wants to grow business as much as it wants to grow benefits for workers, right? We go hand in hand. Rocco mentioned it, that we don't prosper unless our employers prosper. So let's make the pie real big and and then get our fair share of the pie. So Walter Ruther was, he was a leader in organized labor. He was a civil rights activist. Um, He built the United Auto Workers into one of the most progressive labor unions in American history. Uh, He saw labor movements not as, you know, these special interest groups, but as as a, a vehicle to advance social justice, human rights um, in in societies like the United States. He he was able to leverage the UAW's resources and and influence to advocate for workers' rights, for for civil rights, for women's rights. Um, this guy was a was a, a do gooder, right? Uh, he co-founded the AFL-CIO in 1955 with George Meany, so this guy was was at the, the pinnacle of the labor movement. He survived two assassination attempts, including one in his house where somebody stuck a 12-gauge shotgun through his kitchen window and shot him. Jeez. He was the fourth and longest-serving president of the UAW. He served from 1946 until he died in 1970. So this was a guy, you know, this wasn't just yeah. some random guy. This was a guy who um, who literally helped form the labor movement. So pretty important guy. So 
That's it for another episode. Remember to email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. Tell us what you like about this podcast. Tell us what you hate about this podcast. Tell us what you want to hear about in the future, right? Tell us anything you want to tell us, but we want to hear from you so that we know what you want to hear. Okay? Again, comms at teamsters1150.org. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Remember to follow us. Go to Podbean and follow us so that we have lots and lots of followers on the 10 to 12 podcast. Until the next episode, I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaitsi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.